The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you again as we come around God's Word. Um, such a wonderful privilege that we can still, uh, on this online platform, come together and hear God's Word and be challenged this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're so excited that you found your way onto our online service, and I trust that this message will encourage you and, and help you on your journey to discovering who Jesus really is, or that you might grow in your faith uh, in Jesus. And so for our regular PCC people, uh, you, you probably are aware, I hope you remember, that uh, the theme for our year, for this ministry year, is Kingdom. And we've been looking at throughout this ministry year on uh, what the kingdom of God is like and, and what it means for us to live as kingdom citizens. Um, our last series that we did was looking particularly at the king of the kingdom. And we've uh, examined Jesus um, and his I am statements and considered how he is, um, he is God. He's the good shepherd. He's the source of eternal satisfaction. He's the only way to God. He's the, the, the good shepherd who cares for us and lays down his life. And we've seen that the king of our kingdom is just wonderful and worthy of all worship because He is God Himself. Well, this morning we're beginning a new series called The Kingdom Revealed, and we're going to be focusing on the parables of Jesus where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, and then He describes the kingdom of God in different ways. And, uh, and we'll be exploring um, what Jesus has to teach us through these parables about the nature of the kingdom of God and how we're supposed to live in light of that so that we can be kingdom citizens that live in the fullness of life that God came to give when He ushered in the kingdom of God. And so, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me uh, to Mark ch Matthew chapter 13, where we're going to be looking at um, a couple of parables here, and then we're going to jump across to Mark chapter 4 and look at one other parable there, which all are on the same kind of theme. So, Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. And it says this, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the until it worked all through the dough. And then jump across to Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in, in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Let me pray and we'll jump into our text. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that it's living and that it's active, that it's a mirror, that it's a light, and Lord, that it's a sword that pierces our heart. And I pray this morning as we come around your word that you'll anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that I can preach it faithfully. That Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us uh, as we journey through these passages, Lord, that we might live in the fullness of life you came to give, that we might understand your kingdom, and Lord, that we would welcome its coming as you called us to pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a couple of questions. I wonder how you feel about the state of the church right now in our world. I wonder how you feel about the state of our world with all that's going on right now. And if you're anything like me, maybe you feel a little bit frustrated, maybe you feel a little bit discouraged because you think, well, you know, the church seems so powerless, so weak, so insignificant, and maybe the gospel is not having the effect that you think it, it ought to or that you imagine it would. And maybe more personally, even in your own life or you're in your own ministry, you're, you're, you're not seeing a lot of results, you're not seeing a lot of fruit, you're not seeing a lot of evidence of the kingdom of God advancing, and maybe you're feeling discouraged and disappointed. Uh, maybe you're struggling with sin, or you're struggling with a bondage, or you're struggling with something else, or something you've been praying and believing for hasn't come to pass yet. And you're wondering, well, where is the kingdom of God? Where is the power of God? Where is the gospel uh, at work in my life, in the world? And I hope if you're wrestling with those questions, I want to say to you that's completely normal and completely understandable and I wrestle with those questions and those dilemmas. And this passage and these parables are of great encouragement to us and I pray that it really speaks to your heart and blesses you this morning. So a couple of introductory comments um, in terms of in how to interpret parables. The first thing that you need to keep in mind as we journey through this series is that parables generally, well, they're, they're that. They're stories. They're parables. They're not factual statements. And so uh, we'll see in this parable, as we will see in many other parables, that we shouldn't interpret them so precisely and specifically that everything, every image, every metaphor, uh, or every uh, idea that Jesus uses has a literal factual correlation. The, the way we're supposed to understand parables is the overall point that Jesus is trying to make. So with that in mind, I guess a couple of clarifications. People have debated about in Jesus' statement that the mustard seed is the smaller seeds. They said, oh, well, hang on, there are smaller seeds than that. Or when Jesus says that it will become a bush, uh, a garden bush, the la uh, largest of trees or something like that, people, people say, well, hang on a minute, there, there are bigger trees than, than you know, a, mu a mustard uh, tree. Even though uh, a mustard tree can grow to about 8 to 10 feet, um, which is about two, two to three meters, certainly not kind of the tree that we are imagining, and certainly not the tree that uh, we would imagine in our mind when we read what Jesus is saying. So let me be clear that Jesus is not making a botanical statement here. He's using ideas that were proverbial, that were well known in his day. The mustard seed in Jesus' day was well known to be something that was small and insignificant. And the mustard bush was considered to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest garden plant. And so when Jesus uses these metaphors, people would have understood the point that Jesus was trying to make, which is the contrast between the beginning and the ending. And the, I guess, the hyper hyperbolic language or the exaggerated language that Jesus is using is to evoke that idea of how this small, tiny, insignificant thing can produce such a large thing. That's the point. Let's talk about the birds for a minute. Because again, people have struggled to try and wonder and figure out what these birds represent. Most commentators agree that Jesus is probably alluding to some prophetic passages in Ezekiel 17 that talked about the glory of God's kingdom and uses this idea of birds. And this is what it says, On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. So the image of a tree, birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. And that's Ezekiel 17, 23. And again, in Ezekiel 31, it says this. So it towered higher than all the trees of the field. Its boughs increased and its branches grew long, spreading because of abundant waters. All the birds of the sky 
nested in its boughs. All the animals of the wild gave birth under its branches, and all the great nations lived in its shade. So most commentators agree that the birds here in Jesus' parables, because Jesus is seeming like deliberately alluding to this image, represent the nations represent the nations of the world. And we'll see how significant this is when we understand what the main point that Jesus is trying to make. Now let's talk about the second parable, the leaven. Now again, the, the Bible uses the word yeast um, when it's talking about it, and many translations translate the word yeast, but it's better to understand it as leaven. And leaven was a, a lump, a small lump of fermented dough that was left over from last week's baking. And what they used to do is they'd take that lump and they'll put it in the new lump and that small little bit of leaven um, basically fermented the whole lump of dough. And again, when, when we see the results here, the 60 pounds of flour, uh, people have estimated that that would f feed a small village, probably about 100 people. So again, you can see that it's hyperbolic language that Jesus is exaggerating to illustrate the contrast between the beginning and the end result. That's what he's trying to do. Now let's talk a little bit about leaven. Leaven in Jesus' day did not have a positive image. It had a bad reputation. And understandably, when we understand what the Old Testament laws have to say about cleaning your house of leaven as part of the Passover uh, rituals, they were supposed to eat unleavened bread. Um, and so leaven had a kind of a negative impression. And Jesus himself uses the idea of yeast to connotate sin and evil and how it corrupts everything. But here, clearly, the context suggests and shows us that Jesus is not using it in a negative sense. So then the question is, well, why would Jesus use something, an image that had a negative connotation to talk about the kingdom of God? And I want to suggest to you that that's exactly the point, that Jesus uses the image of something small, well known to be small and insignificant, and the image of something that was regarded as contemptible, distasteful, um, looked down on, yeast, to talk about the kingdom of God, something that the Jews of Jesus' day would have had grandiose ideas about. To use mustard seed and yeast in that context would have seemed strange and unusual, even bizarre. But I think that's exactly the point. That's what Jesus is trying to say in this parable. And then when we come to the third parable, when we talk about the farmer, you know, people have said that the farmer is saying here, well, he doesn't understand or he doesn't know how the seed becomes a plant. And they say, well, we now know how that happens. We're more enlightened and more learned. Again, Jesus is not making a botanical statement. He's making an experiential statement. And he's telling a story where there is an element of mystery in that process, even though we might understand the science of it. So with that kind of interpretive understanding, let's kind of drill down on the main point that Jesus is trying to say here. What's Jesus really getting at? Well, essentially, he's just saying this. The kingdom of God may be initially insignificant, despicable, and hidden, but will become significant and influential and impact the nations, including the Gentiles, the birds. That's really what Jesus is trying to say in these three parables. And so with that in mind, my message is entitled this morning, unstoppable because the kingdom of God Jesus is saying in these parables is unstoppable now we could end the sermon there because that's really what these parables are saying and that's the point that Jesus is trying to make that though insignificant and despicable and contemptuous in its beginnings through Jesus and his early disciples and his followers the kingdom of God is going to grow and become significant and influential and impact the nations sermon over but I want to do a little bit more than that 
I want to give you three kingdom principles that come out of what Jesus is saying here about the kingdom that I hope will encourage us as we live our lives out in this world that seems so broken and so fractured and where evil seems to still be so prevalent and where the church seems to still be so powerless and insignificant and hidden and marginalized. Three things that I think will encourage us in thinking about the church and maybe encourage you in thinking about the kingdom of God at work in your own life. The first thing I want to suggest to you is that kingdom principle number one is that God works through unlikely means. God works through unlikely means. For the Jews of Jesus' day, Jesus and his band of misfit followers must have seemed like mustard seed and leaven. The most unlikely the most contemptible, despicable. I mean, think of them. They were carpenters and fishermen and farmers. They were women. They were ordinary people. They weren't educated. They weren't sophisticated. They were just regular, ordinary people. And as we continue in, in the early church, we see that it was no different. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The insignificant, the mustard seeds of the world to shame the wise. But God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised, the leaven things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. That's the God of this kingdom. That's our God specially. That's what Jesus demonstrates in these parables, that through him and his disciples who were mustard seed and leaven, God was going to change the world because that's what God does. He takes ordinary people like you, like me, like Peter, like Paul, even messed up and broken people, and He transforms our lives. He changes us, makes us kingdom citizens, and makes a difference in our world through us. How incredible, how profound is that? And church history bears witness that in spite of all of the church's failings and its sin and all the horrible atrocities, the church has done some incredible things in the world and has affected education and government and the legal system. The church has made a difference to the oppression of women and slaves. The church has been involved in the, in the field of medicine. In, in every strata of society, the church has had an influential role in our world. And if you want to look into this more, you can uh, check out uh, a, a documentary by John, Dr. John Dixon. It's called For the Love of God, where he looks at the best and the worst of the church history and he demonstrates how the church has played such a significant role in transforming our world in so many different ways but let me give you some examples the first institution for the blind was founded by a guy called Thalassius who was a Christian monk the first free dispensary was founded by Apollonius a Christian merchant the first hospital was founded by Fabiola a Christian woman and more recently, Mother Teresa, who by any stretch of imagination was a mustard seed, even in her own eyes, God has done incredible work through her. And we see even Billy Graham and his ministry that spanned the nations of the world and even now leaves a legacy through Samaritan's Purse, in not just gospel ministry, but community development, medical care, and in so many other ways, began as a mustard seed. 
Um, we see in Chuck Colson's ministry, and this guy, you know, was sent to jail because of his in involvement in the Watergate scandal in America. And while in, in jail, he was so impacted by God and, and felt called by God. And when he came out as an ex-prisoner, despicable leaven, he began this ministry called Prison Fellowship that has played such a significant role in caring for and ministering to people in prisons. Um, another name that you might not know, Everett Swanson. He was the founder of Compassion Australia and it, uh, Compassion International. And again, Compassion initially began as a mustard seed where he just wanted to care for some orphan kids in Korea. And that ministry has now become the tree or the mustard bush that has impacted the nations. God is in the business of taking mustard seeds and leaven and bringing transformation and change in our world. That's the God you serve. That's the God I serve. And I want to encourage you, think about your own life. Think about the people that have influenced you. Think about the acts of kindness, the, the people who witnessed to you over the years before you became a Christian. God used mustard seeds and leaven to bring you to faith in Jesus. Think about the impact that that's now had on your life and in your family and the legacy of faith that that will now have for generations to come. God specializes in using ordinary means. God works through unusual people like you, like me, to accomplish great things. And so I want to encourage you, if you're looking at your life and you're thinking, God, I'm just a regular person. What can I do? What difference can I make? I'm just an insignificant mustard seed. I'm a despised one. I'm, I'm not anybody's important. You're the right candidate in the kingdom, in God's hands, because God wants to use you. The second king kingdom principle is that God's work is a process. God's work is a process. And we see this in the parable of the mustard seed where there's a time gap between the mustard seed being planted and the tree being produced. We see it with the leaven. There's a time gap between the leaven going into the dough and the bread being produced. There's a time gap with the, the, the farmer in Mark chapter 4 where we see that you know, he plants a seed and he's, whether he's sleeping or, or whether he's doing anything, there's a process that the, the seed goes through to produce the harvest. God's kingdom work in, in the world and in our lives and in the church is a process. And there's three things that come out of that. One, it, it takes time. God's work takes time. There is a delay and, and sometimes, you know, we, we get frustrated with the delay. We get impatient with the delay because we live in an instant society. We want things now and we're no different to the early disciples who were expecting Jesus to usher in the kingdom right then and there to overthrow Rome and to bring about liberation for Israel. They wanted it then and there. And so often, like me, maybe you struggle with God's apparent delay and the slowness and we think that, you know, God, I, I want this right now. I want change right now. I want to see results right now. I want, you know, the kingdom to come right now. And we get frustrated. You know, like, think about what an instant world we live in. We have an app now called Skip. I had it for a little while. And I use it often to pre-order my coffee so that it's ready for me when I get there. And I, I know sometimes I get frustrated and irritated when it's not ready, waiting for me, ready to go. We, we don't like delay. And yet so often in God's kingdom, God works through a process and there is a time lag. And I want to say to you, even though God might not turn up and do what you want Him to do or do what you think He ought to be doing in the world when you think it ought to happen, these parables remind us that God is at work. And even though it's hidden and mysterious, and that's the second point, that God's work is often hidden, 
because it's a process. This seed, when it goes into the ground, we, we can't see what's happening under there. The leaven, when it goes into the dough, we have no idea what's happening. And the, the farmer, when he puts the seed, he says, I don't know how this happens. And it can stay hidden for sometimes days, weeks, months, and years before we even begin to see a glimmer of a shoot coming out of the ground to see that that seed has actually produced something. It remains hidden. The third thing that comes out of these parables is that we can contribute, but we can't control the time frame or the process. We have no control. The, the man can plant the seed, the woman can put the leaven in, the farmer can sow the seed, but that's about it. God does the rest of the work. And Paul brings this out powerfully in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. There's the key phrase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I want to encourage you, brother, sister, friend, as you look at the world and you feel discouraged about the state of the church or the state of our world, remember these parables that God works through a process. And that process takes time and can stay hidden. And we feel frustrated because we can't control the outcome. We can contribute and play a part in it. But it's God that is doing the work. And God is doing the work. And even in your life, as you think about maybe unsaved friends and family, your kids, your co-workers that you've been praying for, the number of stories that you and I have heard of people who, who convert on their deathbed or much later in life, you know, after parents and friends have been praying for and witnessing to them for years and years and years. And sometimes that doesn't even happen till the person who was witnessing is dead and gone because God works in a process. And I want to encourage you as you look at your life and as you're frustrated about things that aren't working out or that you're not seeing the fullness of or that you're believing for and praying for, don't give up. Trust the process. Trust that God is at work in your life, in our church, and in the world, even when we can't see it. Just like the song says, even when I can't see it, even when I can't feel it, I know you're working, God. I know you're working. And that's the second kingdom principle. The last one, sorry, I just want to encourage you with this verse before we do uh, talk about the last one from Psalm 37. If you particularly, and I really feel this, if you're really f feeling discouraged by delay, by the slowness, by the apparent inactivity of God, I want to encourage you from Psalm 37 to trust in God and to wait on Him. It says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. I believe that's a word for someone today. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Do not refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the earth. Friend, hope in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Be still before Him, because God's kingdom is at work. The last point I want to make about kingdom principles is God's work is certain. And this is why we can wait patiently. This is why we don't have to fret. This is why we don't have to get anxious or edgy or take matters into our own hands or try and force things to happen or try and push God's kingdom forward in our own strength. And we know through our biblical history, 
how that plays out. Think of Moses and his attempts to bring liberation to the children of Israel. Think of all the leaders that attempted to do things in their own strength. We don't need to do that because we know that God's work is certain. Now, some Old Testament passages that might encourage you. Hebrews 2, 3 says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. God has a time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, though it delays, though it doesn't come when we want it to, wait for it. Why? Because it will certainly come and will not delay. God is never late. He's always right on time. Or Isaiah 55, what an incredible promise here. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word. Same kind of imagery as the parable. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it out. See, the Bible reminds us over and over again that God and His kingdom work in our lives, in our church and in the world is unstoppable. It is certain that that mustard seed will become a bush. That leaven will influence and ferment that whole lump of dough that will lead, produce bread that will feed hundreds. That, that farmer who plants seeds will harvest that crop. That's how certain God's kingdom work is. The reason we can have that assurance is that Jesus reminds us in Matthew 16, 18 that He will build His church. And the very gates of Hades, the very gates of death will not overcome. Jesus being crucified on a cross, even though He said it is finished, He wasn't talking about His work. He was talking about the redemptive work. But His kingdom work was what continues on through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even His own death would not impede the building of the church because He would rise again. He would send the Holy Spirit. And in spite of persecution and opposition, as we see in Acts chapter 5, and sometimes because of it, God continues to work and His church continues to grow. And we see that in the world even today, that in spite of opposition, in spite of communism, in spite of secularism, in, in spite of people trying to destroy the Bible and eliminate it, in spite of all of humanity's attempts to stop the work of God in the world, God's kingdom is unstoppable. And what a great encouragement that is for us. And Acts 5 reminds us why this is the case because these religious leaders who are trying to stop Peter, James and John from witnessing they, they pull them in, they beat them up, they send them out and they keep witnessing and they keep proclaiming the gospel and then they have a second meeting and one of the leaders says to the others, he says this therefore in the present case I advise, advise you leave these men alone, let them go for if their purpose or activities of human origin it will fail it will fail but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. What a great statement. You will only find yourself fighting against God. And can anyone fight against God? That is what these parables encourage us. No one, nothing, not even Satan himself, not, even, not any demon in hell, not any political system or government can stop the kingdom of God. That mustard seed will become a bush. That leaven will become a lump of dough and bread that feeds hundreds. That farmer, that seed will produce a harvest. And you and I can have that confidence that as we look at the world, as we look at the state of the church, we can be assured that God will certainly fulfill His plan and purpose. And so, I'll give you some encouraging statistics. 
that demonstrate this. Five encouraging trends of, the, of global Christianity. Number one, there are over 2.5 billion Christians worldwide. This movement that started with Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth that was despised, that was a nobody, and fishermen and, and tax collectors and zealots and a misfit band of disciples has now spanned just about every nation in the world with 2.5 billion followers of Jesus. Christianity is growing five times faster than atheism, faster than, you know, people who are choosing not to believe in any God. Christianity is growing. By 2050, it's predicted um, that charismatic Christians will outnumber the non-religious. There'll be more people who identify as charismatic Christians than those who identify as non-religious. Number four, the percentage of the world that remains unevangelized continues to fall with technology, with the internet, we're seeing more and more people exposed to the gospel and the number of people who are unevangelized will continue to go down, even though there are still unreached people groups like Lewis mentioned a couple of weeks ago. The percentage of non-Christians who know a Christian is climbing. What a great statistic that is. As you and I rub shoulders in our workplace, in our family, in our schools, in our universities, more and more unchurched people are coming into contact with Christians and God's kingdom is at work. And the last passage I want to leave you is in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. And I pray that this speaks to you and encourages you as we conclude this morning. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, there it is, process. At the proper time, we will, certainty, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's our contribution. There's our part. We can't control the outcome. God controls that. God will bring things to grow but we are not to give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Let us keep doing good. Let us keep sow, sowing seeds to the Spirit, sowing seeds of righteousness, sowing kingdom seeds in the world, in our church, in our own lives. Let's continue to sow good things, even if it's only a mustard seed of faith that we have. Let's sow that knowing that God will take that and multiply it and do something significant and influential through insignificant and despised things particularly to those who belong to the family of believers. Friend, I, I hope this message has encouraged you as you look at the world. God's not done. The church isn't done. The kingdom isn't done. Even the small and insignificant people that characterize Jesus' team have changed the world. And God is still doing that. And He wants to still do that through you, and through me. This is the kingdom that God invites us to be a part of. This is the journey that God wants us to continue. And my question is, will we, will you, will I bring our mustard seeds, bring our little bunch of leaven before God and say, like Isaiah did, God, here am I. Will you send me? Will you use me? I'm nothing special. I'm just ordinary, nothing significant. But Lord, will you use me to make a kingdom difference where you've placed me? And I believe God will. God wants to and can use you to make a difference that will bring Him glory and honor. Why don't you bow your heads? Why don't you allow the Holy Spirit to really speak to you this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the great encouragement it gives us today. And Lord, I pray as we conclude uh, this message that, Lord, you would cause your Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts. 
that you would water this word and Lord, that you will bring a good harvest from it, that it will produce fruit of righteousness. Lord, that you would challenge us to, to recognize that you're at work in the world and that you want to use us as part of that kingdom work. Lord, that in spite of appearances, that you're doing your work and that we can trust in you knowing that the outcome is certain. And so, Lord, I pray even today, even this week, that you will use us for your glory, use us in your kingdom work. Lord, would you encourage us as, Lord, if we're discouraged in what we're not seeing, Lord, remind us of the truth of, of these parables, that, Lord, you can work through unusual and, and, and small ways to bring about great things, and, Lord, that you are going to accomplish your good purpose in the world, and that your kingdom will come, and that your glory will be seen in the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're, if you're watching and you're not yet a Christian uh, and you're on that spiritual journey, I encourage you, will you reach out to us and connect with us um, at the conclusion of this service? All of the information will be there. And I encourage you, make contact through our website, through email, through Facebook, and we would love to continue this conversation and engage with you and tell you more about Jesus and His kingdom. We pray that God really opens your heart to receive the life that He came to give through Jesus. Well, God bless you. Have a great week and we'll see you again next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.